0: This week on the show, we have OpenBSD 6.4 released. GhostBSD RC2 is also available. We remember our good times at MeetBSD, the Ultimate Hallway Track Conference, DragonflyBSD Desktop on a ThinkPad tutorial, uh, porting Keybase to NetBSD. We cover OpenSSH version 7.9 and the new Draft IETF six-man IPv6 only flag in FreeBSD in this week's episode of BSD Now. BSD Now, episode 270, Ghostly Releases, recorded on Halloween, which is the 31st of October, 2018. Hello, I'm your host, Benedict Reuschling. And I'm Alan Jude. And while we have a lot of stuff for you, since we're back from MeetBSD, a couple of things have accumulated. Uh, but we'll go through them uh, one by one, either in this episode or the next one. And it starts off this week with the OpenBSD 6.4 release.
1: Yeah, lots of interesting stuff. They have a detailed changelog uh, available for what's different between six point three and six point four, uh, and the instructions to go download that and so on. Um, but some highlights that I picked out um, for VMM the Behi- or the OpenBSD hypervisor, uh, they've added support for Qcow two disks uh, and snapshots. So QCow2 is the disk format from QMU, uh, but it does copy on write so that you can create snapshots and so on of your VM image files. Uh, and so inside the disk format, it has support for snapshots and so on. And they have native support for that now in VMM. And uh, I know some people working on porting that to Beehive as well. So oh. that'll be really nice to be able to, A, use existing QCow images, but uh, being able to have snapshots and features like that without necessarily depending on you know, FreeBSD and a ZVOL or whatever.
0: Yeah, that is good uh, for the VMM uh, folks.
1: Yep. Also support for VM templates and deriving instances from those templates using their vm.conf. Um, if you're a road warrior, their new uh, join subcommand for ifconfig is very useful for Wi-Fi. Uh, so you can check out the ifconfig man page for that if you're interested. Um, then they have some installer improvements, including by default now creating user OBJ as a five gig partition and user local as a 20 gig partition, if you use the automatic disk partitioning. <coughs> uh, for security improvements, there's a lot of work gone into that, In the latest OpenBSD. The one is the new unveil system call uh, is now available. It extends pledge basically, and uh, restricts file system access and a bunch of applications are using that now. They've implemented um, the mem stack option for mmap, uh, which basically causes uh, for page faults and syscalls, the kernel will check that the stack uh, pointer points to a map stack memory and not somewhere else. uh, So that stops attackers from being able to do stack pivots. Uh, They've added the retguard security mechanism for amd64 and arm64. So um, for each function, you have a random cookie to protect access to function return instructions, making it harder to have uh, the ROP gadgets to be able to use the existing code chained together to make an exploit. Um, for Clang, they've actually included a, a pass in the Clang compiler that identifies common instructions uh, which may be used as ROP gadgets and replaces them with safe alternatives uh, for AMD 64 and I-386. Um, The Retpoline mitigation against Spectre Variant 2 is enabled by default on Clang and in some of the assembly files. Uh, The Spectre RSB mitigation is also available. uh, And Intel L1 Terminal Fault mitigation is available. And if your hardware supports PC ID, um, then uh, it'll be used and have a separate user and kernel uh, thread for each TLB. They also extended the meltdown mitigations to i386, and AMD64 now uses eager FPU switching instead of lazy FPU, uh, and because simultaneous multi-threading uses uh, core resources are shared in an unsafe manner, uh, they disable it in software by default now uh, in the latest OpenBSD. And another interesting one is they've disabled support for recording audio by default. You have to specifically enable kern.audio.record if you want uh, any application on the system to be able to use your microphone.
0: Ah, so that no one can listen in through applications because it's enabled by default until now.
1: Yeah, you know, the joke uh, with the BSDs was always, I wish the NSA would spend the effort in getting my webcam working. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh Okay, well. Lots and lots of other improvements uh, available. And newer yeah, a of drivers. Of open smppd open SSH, open or sorry, Libre SSL, um, Mandoc, ports and packages, and so on, including uh, pre-built packages for lots of architectures. Uh, about but ten thousand for i three eighty six and AMD sixty four, eight thousand for ARM sixty four, uh, nine thousand for PowerPC, seven thousand for MIPS and Spark.
0: Mm, that's a lot,
1: yeah. Including uh, Chromium 69, uh, Emacs, GCC, GIMP, Go, uh, LLVM 6, uh, Firefox 60 ESR and 62, uh, and
0: on and on and on. Yeah, it's a it's a big release. A lot of things have mm-hmm. changed or were added. Uh so yeah, congratulations, OpenBSD. Yep. And, uh, yeah, people should try it out, of course, if they haven't done so already. I mean, the release was uh, October 18, um, but we only got to it now. So, yeah, definitely if there's something new to report or if you have something interesting that you're doing it with uh, or that you're now doing with OpenBSD that you couldn't do before, then uh, let us know. So next up, uh, another release, not the final release yet, but it's a release candidate uh, of GhostBSD 18.10. Uh, RC2 is here, and so on their website, they announced that the second release candidate of OpenBSD 18.10 is the second official release of GhostBSD, uh, with TrueOS under the hood, uh, with the official desktop of GhostBSD being made. Uh, However, in the future, there might be an XFCE community release, uh, but for now, there are uh, no community releases yet, and you can find a couple of screenshots here.
1: Yeah, so As. if
0: you're interested in the the process and what they're talking
1: about for community releases, uh, check out the video from Chris Moore's talk at MeetBSD, which we'll talk about in a bit, uh, but now building your own release uh, or your own distro, basically, or spin of TrueOS or GhostBSD is a matter of modifying... The manifest files. So GhostBSD is now based on top of TrueOS, and there's a manifest file that makes GhostBSD. If you wanted a version of GhostBSD that was XFCE or whatever, you could take the GhostBSD template for TrueOS, modify it a bit to have the software you want, uh, and run it through their thing, and you would get out, you know,
0: XFCE BSD or whatever you want to call it. Mm. And so, um, the changes uh, since the RC1, the release candidate 1, are that they removed the DRM stable KMOD, and they will let users uh, install the proper DRM uh, KMOD from, from ports. And um, they added also the LibVA Intel driver, uh, the LibVD power driver, to support accelerated um, some video drivers for Intel. So, if you have some of yeah, those. So,
1: it's if you're trying to play back uh, video it'll use the H.264 decoder built into the video card.
0: Mm -hmm. And a couple of uh, found issues were fixed since RC1. That's why you should report any issues and try out the release candidates because that way they can be fixed before becoming uh, part of the official release. So the more stuff they find before being uh, released, the more uh, bugs are out. And um, yeah, so basically... To update from RC1 to RC2, you do package update dash F and then do package install dash F libarchive curl and libgksu and then sudo package upgrade and there you got it. There are more instructions and some uh, background information on the website, of course. Uh, so definitely check it out.
1: Mm-hmm. And kind of uh, as we mentioned a bit, as part of OpenBSD uh, 6.4 uh, was the release of OpenSSH 7.9.
0: <clears throat> yeah, that so. that's warrant, warrants its own entry because it's a mm-hmm. software release in itself.
1: So there are two incompatible changes. So you'll need to watch out for these if you're upgrading. Uh, the first is that SSH and SSHD, the setting of the CA signature algorithms options bans, the use of DSA keys as certificate authorities now. So make sure that you don't have that setting or it won't start. Uh, and SSHD, the authentication success failure log messages have changed format slightly and now include the certificate fingerprint. Uh, previously that was only included, uh, the key ID and the CA key fingerprint Um, so if you have something that's uh, logging or processing those you're gonna want to watch out for that change Uh, but it means you'll actually know which certificate uh, they logged in with now. So primarily uh, 7.9 is a bug fix release um, but some interesting new stuff. Um, they allow most port numbers to be specified using the service name uh, for you know get served by name. So anything defined in ETC services, you can use the name instead of the port. Um, they allow the identity agent configuration directive to accept environment variable names. This supports the use of multiple agent sockets without needing to use fixed paths. So you can use an environment variable to tell it which SSH agent or GPG agent or whatever to talk to. Uh, SSHD now supports signaling sessions via the SSH protocol. Uh, A limited subset of signals are supported uh, and only for logins or command sessions, not for subsystems like SFTP Um, that were now subject to a forced command via authorized keys, or SSH config. Uh, SSH now has ssh sig to list the supported signature options, um, just like you can do uh, SSH-Q Cypher or Mac and so on to see what algorithms are supported. Um, both SSH and SSHD now have the CA signature algorithms option um, allow you to control over which signature formats are allowed. Um, for example, uh, allows you to ban CAs that sign their certificates with SHA-1 or whatever like that. Uh, and now SSHD and SSHKeyGen allow key revocation lists to be, uh, to revoke keys specified by their sha 256 hash. So you can actually do revocations that way.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. So you can block people just based on on that. Yeah, great. That's a lot of uh, stuff. I mean, even bug fix releases are interesting and important to have because, especially with uh, such a widely used software as SS, like SSH is, or OpenSSH more like that, uh, it's important to have regular updates and bug fixes. Very nice. So, news roundup this time for us, uh, covering MeetBSD 2018, of course, the ultimate hallway track. This is a uh, blog post from Michael Dexter over at the iX Systems blog, who were sponsoring and organizing the whole thing. And this is from the uh, conference leaflet where they, where I was surprised to find my likeness here. I don't know if you can see it, but uh, we were sponsoring, or not we personally, but Jupiter Broadcasting. And uh, they had this little leaflet in there.
1: Yeah, I thought about leaving that in my Airbnb to scare whoever came after us.
0: (laughs) Oh my God, the devil worshippers again. Um, (laughs) No, no, um, that was cool, certainly. So, great conference. For me, it was the highlight for this year. It was, uh, I mean, well-organized, a lot of cool people there, good talks, just all around good conference. So, but um, reading from the uh, blog post from Michael Dexter here, uh, that um, so his uh, summary is basically founded in Poland in 2007 and first hosted in California in 2008. MeetBSD combines formal talks with unconference activities to provide a level of interactivity not found at any other BSD conference. The character of each MeetBSD is determined largely by its venue, ranging from Hacker Dojo in 2010 to Intel Santa Clara headquarters this year. That was certainly a nice venue. Um, Intel SC12 building provided a beautiful auditorium and sponsor's room, plus a cafeteria for the Friday night social event and the Saturday night FreeBSD 25th anniversary celebration. The formal nature of the auditorium motivated the formation of MeetBSD's first independent program committee, And a public call for participation. So, Alan and I went uh, and served on that program committee with a couple of other folks. Mm -hmm. That was nice. And uh, together, these resulted in a uh, backbone of talks presented by speakers from the United States, Canada, and Poland, combined with unconference activities tailored to the space. Okay. So, MeetBSD Day Zero. So... Day zero of MeetBSD was a FreeBSD developer-slash-vendor summit hosted in the exactly same auditorium where the talks would take place. And like the conference itself, the event featured a mix of scheduled talks and interactive sessions. And uh, the scheduled talks were LWPMFS, which is a lightweight persistent memory file system by Ravi Pokala, evaluating Git for FreeBSD held by EdMast, and NUMA by Mark Johnston. So yeah, all these were interesting and sparked a couple of uh, discussions with the developers who were present. Adds uh, overview of the advantages and disadvantages of using Git for FreeBSD development was the most interesting to users and the developers and the discussions continued into the following two days as they normally should. And so that was the uh, vendor summit. Of course, we also did the um, Have Need One session with uh, George Neville Neal and uh, John Baldwin. And we collected a few things for FreeBSD 13. And uh, yeah, that was also uh, not not just technically interesting, but also uh, funny if you've ever been to those. You can, with those two uh, people leading that session, that's certainly uh, giving you a lot of levity as well. Okay, MeetBSD day one. The first official day of MeetBSD 2018 was kicked off with introductions led by MC... JT Pennington of also uh, BSD Now fame, and yep. a keynote using TrueOS to bootstrap your free BSD based projects by former uh, BSD Now host Chris Moore.
1: At- uh, so that was what we were talking about in the Ghost BSD segment. They kind of explained how uh, they built the tools so that anyone could make their own spin of TrueOS quite easily. Uh, and uh, if you're interested in that, that talk is, I think the videos for most of the talks from MeetBSD are on YouTube now or will slowly appear over the next couple of days.
0: Mm. Yeah, so that was great. And Chris did a good job of presenting that and starting the the kicking off the conference talks this way. So uh, he described a new JSON-based release infrastructure that he has exercised with uh, with FreeBSD, TrueOS and FreeNAS. And uh, Chris' talk was followed by Intel and FreeBSD better together by Ben Widowski So the FreeBSD program uh, that was that is led at Intel, who uh, gave an overview of Intel's past and current efforts supporting FreeBSD, and yeah, Ben did a, a fine job there. Also, uh, you know, mentioning a few things that started uh, at the end of the at the beginning of this year, which weren't so well uh, organized, but yeah. Uh, they they learned something out of it, as far as I can get from the uh, conference talk. Next came lunch, followed by Kamil Ritarovsky's bug detecting software in the NetBSD userland, the MK Sanitizer, uh, which was followed by five-minute lightning talks. So it's not what wasn't just talks, talks, talk, but also intermixed with some uh, interactive parts for the audience. And for me, this kind of made the whole conference seem longer. Um, because you also had, to, you know, you, you went up, you talked to people. And that, that was uh, interesting to have in, in a conference format. And uh, after these lightning talks, Andrew Fengler uh, presented his FreeBSD, What Not to Monitor or What to Monitor, uh, his talk uh, from uh, EuroBSDCon, which also had a little bit of updates in it, and an OpenZFS panel discussion featuring OpenZFS experts Michael W. Lucas, Alan Jude, Alexander Moten, Pavel Davidek, and Dan Langill. So that was also interesting, and they covered on a couple of questions from the audience uh, about the future and uh, yeah, mostly the future of uh, features of ZFS not how do I you know reconfigure my pool to do X? It was more uh, people who are who know who use ZFS and how it works, but wanted to know what's what's in stock in the future, what's the features that right. are coming next
1: when, what what's coming next? when can I when will I be able to do X or y? um but yeah, it was we had to Good questions. I was a little worried if we ran out of questions, how we would fill the time. Uh, But luckily, the audience was all awake and uh, interested in talking about ZFS.
0: Yep. And so day one concluded with a social event at the Intel cafeteria, where the discussions continued into the night. Yep. And uh, good time talking to people. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's, uh, I mean, you, you see people um, during the breaks, but then you start talking and then, oh, we have to go back to our seats because the next talks are starting. And uh, over lunch or for over dinner, there's uh, more time since uh, there's no, not much uh, else following. And so you can, you know, mingle with more people and, you know, move between tables and, you know, st- talk longer or catch up on things. Uh, Meet Speedy day two uh kicked off with a keynote by michael w lucas entitled why bsd so yeah that started with hello all you fine people and benedict (laughs) um it's there will be a recording so you can see what uh yeah that was cool um (laughs) and uh, where michael detailed what makes the bsd community different and why it attracts us all and his personal uh journey into the bsds you know as a sysadmin and later as an author and that was uh, that that struck a couple of courts at least within me so I, I saw a lot of things that were similar and the reasons why uh, i stayed with the bsds or st- sticking around are some of these the same ones that he mentioned um that one was followed by dr kirk McCusick's the early days of bsd talk uh, which was followed by dtrace slash dwatch in production by devin Teske so so she showed a couple of new things that she added since uh, bsd can 2018 to her dwatch tool yeah, uh,
1: Kirk's talk was also interesting because it was Choose Your Own Adventure. Uh, oh yeah. It's like, you know, pick pick one of these three topics for uh which, which part of the history do you want me to tell? <laughs> uh, sadly we we didn't have quite enough votes to get the story of the, the AT&T lawsuit.
0: Mm, yeah, yeah, that was uh that everybody was close. wanted to hear about <laughs> IPv4. Big deal. Yeah, but but still Kirk has a way of, you know, mm-hmm. Spontaneously coming up, uh, like reminiscing all these old uh, stories that we were just too young to be witnessing ourselves. So, yeah, that was a good uh, trip down memory lane. Um, After lunch, uh, we enjoyed a curmudgeon's language selection criteria, why I don't write everything in Go, Rust, Elixir, etc., by uh, Clifford Williams. And uh, after that, best practices of sandboxing applications with Capsicum by Mariusz Zaborski. And, Michael Deck? No, Michael Dexter. Yeah. Then <laughs> I keep mixing them up. Uh, he hosted a virtualization panel discussion that featured eight developers from FreeBSD, uh, OpenBSD, and NetBSD in total. And that was also good because a lot of questions from uh, the audience. Uh, Michael had to run around with the microphone a lot. Uh, and uh, yeah, that was certainly a good session to see, you know, what each project is working on and how each one is taking a different stab at virtualization itself. But Overall, there are uh, some good uh, projects and progress being made. So, it's interesting to see that from that perspective. And um, then everyone split up for breakout sessions. I went out for, I don't know, to get food or something. Because when I came back, everyone was standing in little groups. And I was like, oh, what's going on here? Oh, and then I remembered the breakout sessions. Uh, Yeah,
1: (laughs) there was one on high-performance computing, one about the... um, the Bloomberg story about the chips embedded in motherboards, uh, that's the one I went to. I think there was one about networking, like uh, 100 gigabit network performance stuff, um, and then two or three other ones. <clears throat> it, uh, it worked well. We broke into small groups, and everybody got to talk about something they were interested in.
0: Yeah. And so today wrapped up with a final talk, Tales of a Damon Town performance peddler, Why it depends and what you can do about it by Nick Principe. Um, that was interesting because he had a lot of insights into you know performance measuring for uh, systems and uh, or disks in particular. So that was interesting to see that from a from a different angle. And uh, then it was time for the freebsd 25th anniversary celebration at the Intel. Uh, cafeteria. So they uh, put up balloons and we also had a little visit of BSD itself. So that was certainly nice to wrap up not only the conference, but also celebrate a little bit the uh, 25th anniversary of FreeBSD since we came a long way and we might as well celebrate that. It's uh, It took us uh, a lot of effort to get there. It took and us 25
1: years to get to be a 25-year-old <laughs> project.
0: Yeah, yeah. And of course, turns for the next that's
1: not one you years. can shortcut. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's uh, you have to live through all that. <laughs> yeah, and so putting the meat in meat BSD. Uh, so Dexter here confesses the other organizers, and he were actually a little bit nervous about how well one large auditorium would suit a BSD event, but the flexible personal space it gave everyone allowed for countless meetings and heated hacking that often brought about immediate results. He watched people take ideas through several iterations with the help and input of obvious and unexpected experts all of whom were within reach. And not having to pick up and leave for a talk in another room organically resulted in essentially a series of mini-hackathons that none of us or of them anticipated but were delighted to witness taking the hallway track to a whole new level. The mix of formal and unconference activities at MeetBSD is certain to evolve and uh, he thanks everyone who participated with questions, lightning talks and panel participation. And a huge thanks to our sponsors. Yes, definitely, including Intel for both hosting and sponsoring MeetBSD California 2018, Western Digital, Supermicro, VeriSign, Jupiter Broadcasting, the FreeBSD Foundation, Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, the NetBSD Foundation, and last but not least, the team at IX Systems. And closes with, see you at MeetBSD 2020.
1: Yeah, uh, I like the mix of conference and unconference we had. Um it's different than previous meet BSDs, but I don't think any two meat BSDs have ever been the same. And that's kind of the point. Um, <clears throat> and part of it comes down to what's interesting at the time or which people are there and, and so on. And it allows us to adapt. Uh, but yes, I liked, um, the auditorium made the group seem a little small if you were in the room, but then when you saw us all at, uh, in the cafeteria, it was like, oh, there's lots of people. It's yeah. weird. It's like, you know, it's. It, I don't see any faces I didn't see in the other one. It was just the auditorium is a, a bit bigger than it looks. Uh, but that worked out because it meant everybody could be, you know, you could sit with a whole bunch of people if you wanted, or you could kind of sit more by yourself if you wanted. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, you know, uh, I, I did see a bunch of people hacking on stuff, and uh, it was also great when I was uh, helping somebody debug something, and then somebody would hear a keyword that Got their attention, and suddenly there's five of us, and we were figuring out what was going on. Yeah,
0: and for me personally, it was a good um, way of talking to people that I only see typically just once a year at BSD can, mm-hmm. um, because a lot of them don't travel that much or don't come to European conferences or other events. So that being in the US, I had a, a chance to you know catch up since uh, meet BSD and you know continue talking to them a little bit longer because. I see other people at almost all the other BSD conferences. So I try to make as much time as possible um, with those people who I don't see that often. So yeah, definitely. And also talk to new people, of course, and people mm-hmm. who uh, know us, knew us from the show, of course. And uh, yeah, that was great to see the community uh, growing and uh, all the, the excitement in the room. That certainly always keeps me coming back.
1: Yeah. And yeah, I would say about the same thing. I, I made a point of not talking to you very much.
0: Yeah, Alan and I were just, hi, Alan, hi, Benedict, and just walked out. Yeah. Because we talk all the time. We might as well uh, so use like, the time with the people. I just saw there.
1: you on <laughs> Wednesday. It's only
0: Friday. Go away. Yeah, what, what's new? Yeah, it's uh, nothing. Okay, then. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. So it would happen the same if, if it would be different people in, in this chat or in this yep. um, broadcast. So, perfect time to mingle with other people. Yep. All so right. The next story. Yeah, uh, for the Dragonfly folks, we have a setup here with a uh, how to set up the Dragonfly BSD operating system with a desktop on real hardware, and the desktop hardware is in this case the ThinkPad T four ten. Yep.
1: So I think we covered a tutorial uh, from I think the same author uh, recently when they did OpenBSD, but they also tried Dragonfly on the same hardware. And so they say, you know, Linux has become too mainstream, (laughs) and standard BSD is a common thing now. So let's try Dragonfly, (laughs) which is a fork created out of FreeBSD 4.8 many, many, many years ago.
0: It's been a while, yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, And they're showing it off. So they uh, say they also tried GhostBSD and TrueOS, and they have reviews there if you're interested in see what they thought of those. So they uh, grabbed the Lenovo T410, which is uh, an old uh, Core i7 with eight gigs of RAM, and they uh, wrote the image to a USB drive with Win32 Disk Imager and booted up OpenBSD, or sorry, Dragonfly BSD's installer. Uh, so you set your keyboard profile uh, in case you have a non-US keyboard, set the root password, create a user, uh, and you gotta make sure to add yourself to the wheel group uh, because otherwise you can't use SU to switch to root. Set up your networking and host name and so on. And once you got the system up, uh, they upgraded the packages, installed XORG and FFCE and, and Nano, uh, configured Dbus, Haldi, mouse et cetera, start XFCE, and then they installed, you know, Firefox, LibreOffice, vlc htop etc Uh, configured the sound drivers to load at boot Uh, made sure it played out the right uh, sound device by default and they were good to go and then they installed some games uh chocolate doom uh, assault cube open ttd that's a vote for me that's uh an open source clone of transport tycoon deluxe
0: Yes, like create train, train tracks train and locking signals, and oh dear! Yes, um, the open <laughs> source one allows
1: longer trains and more complex signals than the original game. Oh, ah, oh. <laughs> uh, still play that from time to time. Uh, so much fun!
0: Yeah, these where all the locking problems are coming from. <laughs>
1: yeah, uh, well, it'd be a good way to visualize them.
0: <laughs> yeah, and uh, see what what happens if you don't make it. <laughs> Then they have uh,
1: using Wi-Fi manager to configure the Wi-Fi, enabling PowerD to save some battery, using uh, APM to watch better usage, configuring the lid switch so that the machine will automatically suspend when you close the lid, all that kind of stuff. Uh, They say upsides is that it was free and open source with a long history. The drivers work for Ethernet Wi-Fi 2D and 3D video. Uh, They like the Hammer 2 file system and thought that was neat. Um, they said the downsides was that it didn't have as many drivers or direct app support as Linux and the installer and desktop have some uh, quirks and required him to do a bit more manual work than uh, some of the other OS's. But that's an interesting review of Dragonfly.
0: Yeah, and you can build a perfectly fine uh, desktop out of that and uh... Use it as your main work a rig. Yeah.
1: Uh, speaking of MeetBSD, one of the people we met at MeetBSD uh, has a post here about her work to port Keybase, the uh, online. It's like a. I don't know how to describe Keybase. It's it's not a cloud version of GPG. It's just a verification service. It's, well, uh... it's almost a social network based around. The web of trust without the nasty parts of a social network.
0: <laughs> yeah, without having to show each other ID and stuff, or uh, doing well. It's uh, basically yes. parties. Uh,
1: It allows you to say, "Here's my key, and I've proved that that Twitter account is the same person as this key, and I've proved that that GitHub account is the same person as this key, and you can send encrypted messages back and forth." So it's just mm. a, a more usable version of GPG.
0: Yeah, you can describe it that way. And yeah, so she uh, has a blog post about uh, porting Keybase to NetBSD. And that starts off with that Keybase significantly simplifies the whole key pair slash PGP thing and makes what is usually a confusing, difficult experience actually rather pleasant. At its heart, it's an open-source command-line utility that does all of the heavy cryptographic lifting, but it's also hooked up to the network of all other Keybase users, so you don't have to work very hard to maintain big keychains. Pretty cool. So this evening, uh, she tried to get it all to work on NetBSD, or at least the evening of that blog post. Um, The Keybase client codebase is, in her opinion, not very well architected. There exist many different Keybase clients, command-line apps, desktop apps, mobile apps, And for some reason, the code for all of them are seemingly in the single repository without even using Git submodules. Not Mm -hmm. sure what's that about. So anyway, Go building the command line program, it's written in Go, failed immediately because (laughs) there's some platform-specific code. Oh, here we go. That just does not seem to recognize that NetBSD exists, but they do for FreeBSD and OpenBSD. Looks like the keybase developers maintain a Golang wrapper around struct-proc, which of course is different from operating system to operating system. So uh, I literally just copy-pasted the OpenBSD wrapper, renamed it to NetBSD, and the build basically succeeded from there. <laughs> this of course is super janky and untrustworthy, but it seems to mostly just work. So <laughs> I, I don't yeah. think
1: there'd be much difference in struct-proc between Net and Open.
0: Yeah, as long as the the underlying uh, f- structures haven't changed, the uh, the data structures, yeah, I don't think they have, it could basically work. Yeah. So she forked the GitHub repo. You can see the diff on top of Keybase 2.7.3 at that uh, uh, GitHub link here, and eventually she ended up with a slash go slash bin Keybase, which launches just fine in her home directory. Meaning I can, well, main okay. But the moment you try to do anything interesting, it looks super scary. So you can see the output here. A couple of errors here. Ooh, what's going on? Um, Yeah, some attempts, some timeouts, some more weird questions or uh, queries here. There's a a few things about this error message that stuck out to me. Forking a background server? What? It's trying to connect to localhost? That must be the server that doesn't work. Unfortunately, this non-functional background server sticks around even when a command was simple as login command just failed. So you can see the PS output. And uh, I'm not exactly sure what the intended purpose of the background server even is, but fortunately we can kill it and even tell the keybase command to not even spawn one. So yeah, you can say standalone here with a switch. And then uh, we can fix wanting to connect to localhost by specifying an expected keybase API server. How about the one hosted at https keybase.io? Yeah, so you specify that, and basically, what I'm trying to say is that if you specify both of these options, the keybase command does what I expect on NetBSD. Cool. Yeah, yeah I mean, warnings running in debug mode—that's fine. Um, but other than that, seems to work as intended.
1: That's awesome. Thanks for posting that, Charlotte. Mm-hmm. And lastly, we have a commit to FreeBSD that I found particularly interesting. Uh, Bjorn Zieb has committed an initial implementation of uh, Internet Engineering Task Force draft six-man IPv6 only flag. So this change defines a router advertisement six or IPv6 only flag, which routers may advertise. Uh, It adds kernel logic to check if all routers on a link have the flag set, and accordingly update the per interface flags. So if all routers agree that um, this is an IPv6 only link, um, the ether output frame function based on the interface flag will filter out all um, ether type IP and uh, ARP packets or frames. So if you try to send IPv4 uh, packets or ARP packets, on an interface where the routers are advertising that this link is for IPv6 only, uh, you will actually get address family not supported errors back uh, to the application. Mm. The change also updates the NDP or Neighbor Discovery Protocol command uh, to show a little six flag uh, beside each of the hosts that are advertising it. And ifconfig now can display an IPv6 only uh, ND6 flag so that you know that any neighbors you discover on that link are going to be v6 only. And the RTADVD, uh, so Router Advertisement Daemon, uh, allows you to announce it so you can have your FreeBSD router tell everybody else on the link that this link is for v6 only. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's also some changes to TCB dump to be able to uh, understand the new flag, and that's in the process of being upstreamed into TCB dump. Uh, so this code has been tested on uh, with two FreeBSD routers, a FreeBSD laptop uh, on Ethernet as well as Wi-Fi. And they also did interoperability testing with Windows 10 and OS 10 clients um, who both don't know what this Six flag is but continue to work anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Bjorn also notes that we may want to implement... Uh, Receive filters so that if any v4 packets do show up on the link, that uh, we'll ignore them when they come in. And uh, B, over time, enhance user space to do things like have DH client not try to send requests on a link where we've marked it as v6 only. Uh, also, possibly making it so that v6 starts before v4 so that it can detect this situation where we've declared this network as v6 only. Ah, I see. So all of this code is hidden uh, behind the compile like experimental. So you have to enable the experimental option in your kernel for this to happen, so that it won't possibly mess up your current network. And it's not compiled by default, uh, as the draft is a work in progress, and we can't rely on the fact that uh, IANA will assign the specific bits of the header the same as the draft has. So once this becomes a standard, where the flag is in the bit field will be locked, and this will no longer be
0: experimental. I see. Okay, so we already see uh, drafts being implemented. Yeah, so this basically
1: FreeBSD is the reference implementation of the Internet Engineering Task Force uh, IPv6-only network uh, system or uh, protocol.
0: Not the first time, actually, where FreeBSD is, nope. is the test bed or the first... Reference uh, implementation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we're on the networking side uh, making the usual progress.
1: I also get the feeling that Bjorn is somehow behind the idea of having an IPv6-only <laughs> network flag.
0: Yeah, he, he wants to uh, push that, it yeah. <laughs> seems like. Okay, very nice. So, time for a long list of Beastie bits this week, um, but nevertheless worthwhile covering. Uh, starting off with a Dan's other diary, running FreeBSD on macOS via xHive. So people have been asking about how to run how do I run Beehive on macOS 10, and Dan has posted that a while ago already, and so we cover it here. So Beehive is a hypervisor slash virtual machine manager developed on FreeBSD, and xHive is a port of Beehive to OS 10. That's where the name's coming from. Um, it is built on top of the hypervisor framework in OS 10 10.10 Yosemite and higher, runs entirely in user space and has no other dependencies. And uh, usually uses Mac ports, but ran into trouble with Xhive. So this morning he tried homebrew instead. And so basically you start brew install dash dash head Xhive and it clones it for you, creates it for you. And in the usual brew uh, way of doing things, it's quick and easy. You don't have to do much. And once it's done, you have your xhive command here, and then you create a virtual disk with makefile. You name it however you want, and you can define how big it should be. In this case, it's 50 gigs here. And then you create a little install script. You can copy the one from Dan and uh, make necessary adjustments. And he installs FreeBSD 11.2 release here in this one, Uh, creates an interesting (laughs) UUID. It's a perfect fit for our Halloween episode here. And after that, it's the long XHive call because it needs a couple of parameters, but uh, you then nicely put it into shell variables so it's easy to change. And once you start that, you run the script, and here's a, your familiar FreeBSD booting, and you can install it into your little um, virtual disk that you created, and then you have your little XHive or your FreeBSD on your Mac OS X can come in handy for tests and just uh, demoing FreeBSD or if you just can't have FreeBSD running any any way anyway else, that's a good way to eat your own dog food, basically.
1: Yeah, well, it's super handy for development, especially if you're doing things that might crash. Uh, crashing the VM instead of your laptop
0: is very useful. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it keeps you from uh, swearing and cursing and needing to reboot. So, yeah, it's a good way. And thanks, Dan, for... Um, Documenting that, and then hopefully more people will use Xhive and yeah find bugs or start developing on that. Maybe.
1: Yeah. Uh, when we talked to Michael W. Lucas before MeetBSD, he mentioned that he was going to be auctioning off a, an OpenBSD book and a free BSD book. Uh, and both of those uh, auctions have gone through. So yeah. the auctions are now over. Uh, they actually ended uh, late on Saturday. But I suspect Sunday traveling and couldn't get the post up. Um, so the OpenBSD auction uh went to Jared, who bid a thousand dollars, uh, crushing poor Cybermonk, who <laughs> bid less. And uh, but Cybermonk did triumph for the FreeBSD auction, uh, with a top bid of $325. Um, so what uh, they got was copies of the latest absolute whichever BSD book. Um signed by a bunch of the developers so at the um for the FreeBSD one it's got lots of little things in it i think some developers added their own footnotes uh kirk drew some custom art on one of the pages um i put some stuff in the installer or the the gelly and the installer pages and uh, people added stuff all over the book
0: so yeah really, it was
1: you, you you paid for a defaced book rather than Rather than just autographs, it's mostly got <laughs> snarky comments and extra footnotes. and,
0: uh... Yeah, I saw people going to the index and see, ah, where's the software I'm, I'm mostly involved with? Ah, there, okay, page 200, I don't know. Yeah. And then they go there and make little annotations and, yeah, oh, I, it took so long to develop this and I don't yes, know. I, <laughs> <It's... clears
1: throat> I know there's one section that... Uh, So John Baldwin has reviewed all three editions of the book that have come out over the last, like, 20 years. Mm. Uh, And only this time did he spot an error that's been there since the beginning.
0: Oh! Oops.
1: (laughs) And so he (laughs) left a note about it in the latest edition uh, for the the copy that Cybermen got, saying, you know, I apologize for the fact that this has been wrong in every other edition of this book, but I
0: assure you it's right now. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect reason to get the new edition and to have the latest and corrected version available. And a lot of people I see that on, on Twitter, they pick it up and look at uh, uh, look forward to reading it and learn a few new tricks for, for, for FreeBSD. And yeah, it seems like a good uh, start for a, for a book. Yep. Okay, then next up we have OpenBSD Principles. So this is Open SSH over. OpenSSH principles. Oh, OpenSSH, of course. SSH principles. Um, so this is incorporated into many commercial products, but very few of those companies assist OpenSSH with funding. And uh, so they talk a little bit about uh, how to get started and how to create a certificate authority. And then... Uh, The principles part is that uh, while the concept is similar to X509, commonly used in TLS, OpenSSH certificates are different format. Uh, They contain much less information, but it doesn't mean that they are less useful. In fact, OpenSSH certificates allow fine-grained control to local users and hosts with security principles. And that is how you uh, can set that up. So you can see the examples here. And how to create the host certificates and then verify them and create user certificates after that. And that's mostly familiar tools, SSH keygen, and uh, copying the uh, proper keys around and signing them. So yeah, if you're interested in creating your, not just uh, enhancing your uh, authority or SSH authority, but also adding the principles to it, then check out that GitHub article.
1: (laughs) Useful tutorial. Uh, and then the OpenBSD Foundation announces their second uh, Iridium donation from Handshake, uh, which is um, a project trying to do decentralized certificate authority and naming. Uh, so it seems like uh, so an experimental peer-to-peer root DNS with like built-in Let's Encrypt or something. Uh, it seems very interesting.
0: Yeah, the. Uh... Uh, The FreeBSD Foundation also got a donation from them. And so thanks to the Handshake folks for donating to both uh, the OpenBSD and the FreeBSD Foundation. And so for OpenBSD, it was their second Iridium donation, which is a lot of money and goes to a good purpose because it keeps OpenBSD development. And uh, yeah, generally uh, the project, uh, monetary resources that they sometimes need um, flowing. Making
1: sure that people get to... Uh, the OpenBSD hackathons and
0: hardware, purchases, <laughs> Just right hardware and, like and so on. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So great. Thanks for uh, that donation. And next up, we have NetBSD Machines at Open Source Conference 2018 in Kagawa. And so that's a little uh, announcement here or um, it, uh, NetBSD Advocacy. Uh, The Japan NetBSDs user group held both had a booth at the Open Source Conference 2018 in Kagawa on October 6th. So here's a couple of links to the conference website, and there's a picture, Twitter picture of the booth that they had. Of course, you can see all the interesting hardware that NetBSD runs on, and that's uh, probably only available in Japan or in Asian (laughs) regions. So that's cool. And um, they show they show a couple of the systems that they had. So if you've ever wanted to see NetBSD x sixty eight k on XM six i, then there it is. <laughs> well, it's uh, certainly cool to have all these different devices running NetBSD. Okay, and uh, OMAX player
1: running NetBSD uh, RMV seven with a laser projector.
0: Ooh. <laughs> oh yes haha and uh, uh, NetBSD 8 i386 on ePC uh, as well as a NetBSD tourist guide available oh yeah to the to the actual conference and they okay. provide the Raspberry Pi images and some more pictures uh, on the uh, announcement here so if you're interested yeah, well, I in think
1: that there's a PDF of slides and there's lots of information if you can uh, parse through some of the Japanese mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but lots of pictures of, of interesting hardware if you're interested Yeah, excellent.
0: Good stuff promoting NetBSD in in Japan. And so, connected to what we already mentioned, that uh, NetBSD Absolute FreeBSD is now shipping from Michael W. Lucas. It took a while because there were some holdups, but now it's finally available in bookstores. And definitely check it out. Uh, it's a short and sweet announcement from Michael w Lucas Amazon can deliver and NSP has copies so he thinks he can finally say it absolute freebsd is now shipping yep and here's the obligatory gratitudes new book selfie yep there yep. it is so
1: uh, if you want to get the ebook and print
0: bundle together if you go
1: over to no starch press and use the coupon code I love uh, mm-hmm. uh, Michael that's I-L-U-V M-I-C-H-A-E-L and They'll give you thirty percent off any No search Press purchase, and it also uh, kicks a few dollars back to Michael. Uh, and you'll be able to get a discount on the ebook and print version together, or you can just buy it on Amazon, whichever you prefer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as always, the ebook is DRM free.
0: Yes, that's also important uh, to know. If you are supporting Michael Lucas this way, then get the DRM-free version of that book because why not? Um, so, next up is uh, we have an article here about Nextcloud on OpenBSD. Uh, interestingly enough named um, URL or the <laughs> domain name hardbleed.nl with uh, the E's replaced by 3's because why not?
1: Yeah. Uh, so, they walk through setting up Nextcloud, uh, including installing Postgres, PHP 7, uh and a caching file locking uh, and so on with apcu and redis. Um uh, so they show how you set it up, uh let yourself or well they configure do as uh and ssh uh on the server first um but then they uh install the Postgres server, install PHP uh configure PHP, enable the Postgres server uh get all that running, then uh, configure their web server, give it the Let's Encrypt fun, uh, set up Cloud, get that set up uh, and running, enable the OpenBSD web server, do the OCSP stapling, and enable the um, Let's Encrypt tab. Uh, Yeah, don't forget that. Finish setting up SSL, set up all the config directory stuff, and more importantly, set up the PHP FastCGI socket so that you'll be able to execute the PHP code. Get the Postgres database uh, configured with initDB. Get that all running. Get your PHP sorted out. Uh... Install the APCU module for caching. And then just download and install NextCloud. Hook it up to the database, and there you go. And they also have a troubleshooting section.
0: Oh, yeah, in case something goes wrong or some uh, beginner mistakes come up, then, uh, yeah. But ultimately, you have, then, NextCloud on a secure operating system in the cloud, and you can keep your data on uh, OpenBSD. Uh, Next is the FreeBSD 12.0 beta 2 uh, announcement available. So we're almost there, just a little bit longer. Uh, But for people who want to try it out, and we encourage you to do that, because the more stuff you find in those betas, the more uh, fixes that we need, the better, because those can still go into the final 12.0 release. And if people not test it and just think everything will be fine, then it's too late when the release is coming out. So test this out. The betas are almost the final thing, but maybe if you discover here and there a couple of things that still need to be fixed and yeah, definitely report those, create a uh, bug report in bugzilla for it, and then we have a chance to fix it before it goes into the final one.
1: Yep. Uh, some de- debugging stuff that was left on has been disabled uh, in beta 2. Uh, the time zone's been updated because uh, the time zone database changed recently. Um, they fixed a panic that could happen if you combined lag and VLANs together. Uh, glad they fixed that because I do exactly that. Um, <laughs> they added the ability to prevent uh, interruption to the boot process without entering a password. Um, and they uh, fixed an off by one error that could lead to a system panic in the sound driver. Uh, and they've also modified the uh, Mellanox Melanox 6 driver to be able to notify when a port on a uh, ConnectX 6 card has been turned off due to insufficient power. If you actually don't have enough electricity to run all the ports on the card, uh, you get a useful error message now instead of not.
0: Hmm, okay.
1: And there's also been some updates to the Linux compatibility layer and uh, deprecation warnings added to a bunch of older... Uh, 10 and 100 megabit network cards that will be removed in FreeBSD 13 in a couple of years. Uh, So you'll have uh, plenty of notice uh, that your hardware is only supported for a couple more years uh, if you're running FreeBSD 12. Oh yeah. Uh, And the release announcement includes download links for the regular CD or memstick images, but also pre-built VMs if you don't want to go through the install phase, or pre-built QMU systems, or Amazon systems, or Vagrant systems, and so on and so on.
0: Mm, yep.
1: And cool. all of the SHAs of all of the files are included here in the mailing list, uh, and that entire mailing list message is GPG signed uh, by the release engineer. So that's the right way to verify the checksums.
0: Sure. Very cool. Then Uh, next up... A reminder
1: from the video we featured the other week uh, that in fact, uh, Microsoft has ported Dtrace to Windows from FreeBSD though. Uh, They didn't start from the original upstream illumos, They started with a version that's in FreeBSD.
0: Yeah. So now you can hold 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 a candle into a dark uh, place and see what kind of bugs are screwing around. So yeah, it's uh,
1: and I think George has managed to reach out to the right people and working on getting the uh, Windows port of DTrace to be part of the Open DTrace project.
0: Oh, even better. Yeah, for a long-term, uh, sustainable, yeah. collaborative effort there. Great. Yeah. So definitely detrace all the things on Windows, find all the stuff, how it works internally, and what crazy things software is doing behind the scenes, now that you can look at it, and yeah, make sure to have a look. And then we have a couple of announcements for upcoming uh, events, since the year is not over yet, and people are still meeting about the BSDs. um, The first thing that we have is a help bug. H e l b o g, Fall twenty eighteen meeting has been scheduled for Thursday, the fifteenth of November. Yeah,
1: so if you're in Finland, especially Helsinki, uh, the if you go to hellbug.fi uh, or the hellBSD BSD user group with one L because Helsinki, um, the um, that's when the Finnish will be having their BSD user group. Uh, and uh, they note that they've had FreeBSD and OpenBSD and Dragonfly BSD users, but they still haven't seen a NetBSD person attend the bug, so they had an extra invitation for anybody interested in NetBSD to come out to the Helsinki BSD user group.
0: Hi oh, yeah. Very nice. Then. What's next? Yeah, the 35C3, the Chaos Communication Congress, pre-sale has started. So uh, people should know about this. So they might think, whoa, why is this so expensive all of a sudden? Uh, because it includes a public transport ticket in the price. So that's why. So the pre-sale has started. You can go to the ticket shop. We provide... So uh, the the event is in German. Well, it's not completely in German, but there are also a couple of English-speaking talks. Uh, but we provide you the... Uh, Google translated page here of the the German website that they have. And if you're interested in that conference, which happens between the years, so after Christmas, if you're around, uh, you can go to Germany. And I think it's in Leipzig because they they moved around a couple of times because they keep growing and growing and they ran out of venue space. Um, But this year they're in Leipzig again. And that's a lot of um, cool stuff about, you know, uh, Security events, hacking-related things, social um, aspects of computing, Um, that's certainly a a nice conference uh, if you're still not too tired this year to go to conferences. And I hear there's also going to be a BSD assembly there. And if we know more details, then we'll mention it on the show, of course. And there will be a couple of people meeting there about uh, your favorite operating system. Uh, And then for user groups,
1: we also have the Stockholm BSD user group. So don't feel left out if you don't live in Sweden, if you're in, or if you don't live in Finland, if you're in Sweden, um, the BSD user group's fourth meetup will be Tuesday, November 13th from 6 to 9.30 p.m. And the meetup link is there so you can register and show up. Uh, And it will be again at uh, B3's offices in central Stockholm.
0: Yep, conveniently located in the central station, so easy to reach. And uh, last but not least, the Polish BSD user group is meeting on Thursday, November 15, and they are still looking for uh, participants, or we well, speakers even. Yep, So uh, if they
1: do three different talks at each uh, Polish group. They have uh, an intro level, an advanced level, and a not BSD talk. Uh, yeah, so, so there I should make be something sure that there's something interesting for everyone and so that everybody gets exposed to things from outside the community as well. Uh, so that meeting will be
0: back at the wheel systems offices again. Mm-hmm. yeah, excellent. Uh, so that's also a nice way of you know reconnecting and I guess Marsh Zaborski will be there and report from his MeetBSD experiences. And, yes. Yeah, uh, I don't way. have
1: the link handy, but um, if you're interested in helping getting, or getting involved helping run the Polish BSD user group, um, they've got a post out, I think, on their Twitter account about that if you want to check that out as well.
0: Excellent. So that's it for our Beastie Bits this week. So there's a couple of things and going to feedback and questions. Starting off with Greg. Uh, with an interview suggestions for the sh- uh, or a suggestion for the show, always good to have those. Starts with hi, long time listener of the show. I have a suggestion for your show. Excellent. Uh, Is it possible that you make an interview with Jim Salter? He's the author and maintainer of Sanoid Project, which orchestrates snapshot management and replication on the ZFS file system. Here we go. Sounds interesting to me. <laughs> yep. Why not? Um, here are two links where we can uh, find more information. Uh, if you won't be able to make the interview, I believe that many of us will be pleased to hear your review of Sanoid and Syncoid and preferably a comparison with ZX for or at least a mention in the show in one of your segments. Okay, we covered that but we'll uh, be digging deeper. Mm-hmm. Uh, whenever, uh, whatever you'll do, as much information as possible would be appreciated. Thanks, Greg.
1: Oh yes, yes uh, I've never heard so... about this before. Uh, we'll reach out to him and see. And uh, either way, we'll uh, have to look into this Sanoid and syncoid. Uh, I've not used them before, but they sound interesting to me. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, thanks for the suggestions. Would be nice to have a little uh, you know, interview for as as the year comes to a close. And if it makes people interested in that, it's a win for everyone, okay. thanks, Greg. Uh, next up is Nelson with the GhostScript Vulnerability. Uh, starts like this. There are new GhostScript vulnerabilities that deserve a brief mention on the next BSD Now TV podcast, this one, uh, as well as immediate action by packagers of GhostScript for the uh, BSD families of operating systems, most of which are far behind in their, their GhostScript versions. So here's a copy of part of a message that I just posted to our campus IT list about the problem and how to upgrade to the latest ghost script versions. So there's a couple of major vulnerabilities that uh, allows remote takeover of systems and critical flaws could leave and, many uh, systems at risk of hacking.
1: Yep, and uh, apparently there wasn't a fix at the time that the email went out.
0: Ah, yes, okay. So hopefully maintainers of um, ports and packages are aware of that and have provided patches but are there patches at the first yeah i think there are
1: i think there are now there just weren't originally
0: yeah ah yeah by installing locally built versions of the latest 9.5 software versions of those ghost script packages Okay, good to know, because these seem serious enough to uh, warrant a more wider uh, distribution than Uh, just… And
1: when they weren't yet in the CVE database, that meant they probably weren't in VUXML, so that package audit wouldn't notify you that they were vulnerable. So thank you very much for
0: the heads up. mm -hmm. Okay, and uh, the last one for this week is from Allison about GCC. Uh, asking, is GCC mucking about again? I've noticed that a bunch of ports not required a flag uses equals compiler um, colon C plus plus eleven dash lang added, when it wasn't needed before. What's this about?
1: I'm not sure exactly. Mostly, I think is that the version of GCC that's built into FreeBSD uh, is very old. Right, it's the very last GPL v two version, uh, so it's more than ten years old. Uh And of course, therefore, it doesn't support uh, C++ 2011 because that was many years in the future at the last time we got a newer version of GCC and FreeBSD. Um, Once that setting is there, I think it means you will use either newer GCC or newer Clang um, that supports at least uh, C++ 11. I think it's mostly just that software has started to slowly start using the newer uh, code and features of the uh, uh, of the programming language.
0: Yeah, and so the the old compiler kind of make heads and tails of what what these uh, new features or these flags can do. So that's yep. why. Uh, but I uh, think ports will update slowly.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, in particular, we're looking at eventually being able to get rid of GCC from base just because it's an outdated version, and we can't have a newer version because of licensing.
0: Yes, of course, we want to eventually be in a. Uh, GCC free environment I mean in parts it's different um, but for the base system utilities that's um, in the in the making for a long time and uh, we're, we're we see the finish line at, uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure how far the horizon is but <laughs> it's a lot of people have been working for it over the years and we hope to have finally a version of that is um, capable of you know, building the whole system without any GCC uh, requirements and yeah, otherwise, if, if it's a specific port, then report that to the uh, port maintainer and ask what the what the problem there is or whether that flag could, could help, and that should uh, resolve it. We're still in the, the release um, for the next major version of FreeBSD in this case, um, which could also uh, be a reason. Uh, I doubt it. Uh, this is
1: ports. It's, it's not a fairly th- database.
0: Okay. Well then, um, hopefully that has been cleaned up. And uh, that's the pretty much the end of our feedback and questions section as well as the actual show for today. Remember, anything that you find is worthwhile, in, especially in the BSD space, uh, worthwhile adding to the show. Send it to us. Any questions, comments, show ideas that you might have for our stories that you came up with or found on the internet, send all of that to feedback at bsdnow.tv and we'll cover it in a future episode. Yep. Thanks for watching. Thank
1: you and see you next week.